Amen. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we sing that. It's such a such an important truth for us to remember that it is on Christ, the solid rock, that we stand. Uh, Father, but if we are honest, Father, sometimes we uh, we step off of that rock. We uh, we falter, we fail, um, we sin. Father, sometimes we depend on things other than the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, Father, sometimes we uh, begin to look at ourselves. We turn inward and we begin to trust ourselves. We trust our own judgment, Father. We trust our own ability to uh, honor you with our lives. And uh, Father, um, we thank you that, uh, that your love for us never fails in those moments. Father, your grace is sufficient. It is strong. Uh, Father, your love um, holds on to us, Father, when we fail to hold on to you. And so we thank you for your grace. And Father, we ask that you would help us to stand firm upon Christ. Father, he is our only hope. Father, it is in him alone that we have life and life everlasting. And so, Father, as we come to this time in our service where we, uh, we open up your word, the bread of life, and Father, we read it and we seek to understand it and to apply it to our lives, Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would would teach us spiritual truths from your word, Father, and that you would help us to not just hear your word, but to do your word. Father, that we would believe it. Father, that we would stand firm on it. And Father, that we would put it into practice in our lives. Father, thank you for being here with us. Father, thank you for the confidence that we can have in opening up your word, knowing that you will teach us, Father, if we, if we will have but open and willing hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can you imagine being a coach? Maybe some, some of you in here are coaches. Um, maybe you have been a, a player on a team and you've had a coach and uh, you, you put in a lot of time and effort. Uh, leading up to the season starting, maybe in the preseason, and you train and you work hard, and the, the coach has his his players or her players work really hard, and and uh, they start that season off really really pumped and excited, and they're they're giving their best, and about halfway through the season, um, that giving your best shot kind of starts to wear down, and people start getting lazy on the team, and they're not really working real hard, and so the coach would gather uh, his or her players into the to the locker room and say, listen, listen, we, we're doing good in this season, but we got to be careful. It was hard work that got us to where we're at, and y'all put in the time, and you put in the effort, and you, you put in the, the blood, sweat, and tears, and, and, and you've worked hard to get to this point, but I want to remind you that if you want to continue down this road of success, you're going to have to finish the way that you started by working hard. And it's that pep talk to, to get, get his players back into the game, right? Get them back into the mindset. You can't just drop off and be lazy. How you started is how you're going to have to finish this season. Galatians chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, Paul is kind of saying the same thing to the Galatians but he's saying the opposite, okay? And I'm not going crazy, all right? He's saying the same thing, but he's saying the opposite. 
Paul is going to remind the Galatian believers that they are to be continuing in their Christian walk and they will one day finish that walk here on this earth the exact same way they started. See, the Galatians, if you can recall back from our previous weeks of studying in this book in chapters 1 and 2, they're being tempted through ultimately Satan who's using false teachers who have come into their churches to deviate from the path on which they started. They began the Christian walk believing that their salvation was by grace through faith, that it was not their works that could save them, but they began to deviate off that path. And so it's the same as that coach in the sense that Paul is saying, you gotta, you got to get back to where you started. But it's different in the sense that Paul is saying the opposite. It's not your hard work. It's not your good works that got you started on this Christian walk. And it won't be your good works that complete your salvation. It was God's grace, a free gift of salvation applied to your lives through your faith, not through your obedience to the law, but through your faith that began your salvation. And it is in that same way that God will complete your salvation. So don't begin trusting in your works after you've already said, I can't be saved by my works. Continue with that same mindset. Salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And that's exactly where what Paul is saying in chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's read this text. Uh, You follow along in your copy of God's word as I read chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, let's get our bearing straight of where we are in this letter. Chapter 1 through 2, Paul really focuses on some history. What he did after he was converted to Christ and his relationship to the church leaders in Jerusalem, to the apostles. He didn't get his gospel from them, but he was in agreement with them and they were in agreement with him. And so he's been recounting a lot of this past history, these things that had gone on in his life to give uh, verification or validation to the gospel that he has preached and that the false teachers are trying to discredit. Now he's making a shift away from this historical, let me tell you about where I've been and who I met and what I've done, to a theological argument for salvation by grace through faith. Starting here and really into the next few verses that we're not going to get into today, but all the way through chapter 3 and chapter 4 and really into chapter 5, he's going to say, now this is why, according to God's word, that salvation is by grace through faith and not by works. But before he jumps and dives right into this theological argument going back to the Old Testament for validation, 
he confronts the Galatians head on. He really hasn't spoken directly to the Galatians, calling them, hey, you, hey, you Galatians that I'm writing to. And he hasn't done that since chapter 1, verse 11, where he said, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Now, it's important for us to remember that in chapter 1, verse 11, he called them brothers. Because in chapter 3, two times he calls them fools. Paul's not discrediting their salvation. He's giving them a very, very, very stern warning that they are in some serious danger if they continue down this road of depending upon their works instead of the grace of God for salvation. So, four truths that we learn here in this passage as Paul writes to really wake the Galatians up to the truth that it is through faith in Jesus, not through works of the law, that God is completing his work of salvation in them. He's kind of given them a gospel motto that you're to finish how you started. If you started by grace through faith, then let me tell you, Paul says, that's how you're going to finish your walk on this earth with the Lord Jesus Christ. First truth we see is this. Keep your guard up against false teaching. Keep your guard up against false teaching. Paul begins chapter 3 by saying, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's the first of five questions that he's going to ask in these six verses. This first question is this. Who has bewitched you? Who, Who has cast this spell upon you? Here's what Paul is saying. It's so inconceivable inconceivable for me to think that you who believe the true gospel are now being led astray by these false teachers. You've got to be like under a spell or something. I mean, that's how crazy this is. He says, who has put you under this spell? Who has spellbound you? Now, we could look right around the Galatians and we can answer that question by saying the false teachers, right? The false teachers that have come into the church and have been proclaiming to them that if they really want to be saved, then they need to add to their belief in Christ by doing good works, obeying the law. And until they do that, they're really not justified before God. And Paul has already said, no, you are justified before God by your faith, through your faith, not through your good works. And so these false teachers have come in and they have listened to them. They've listened to them, but we could, we could take a step back from this scenario and look a little bit deeper into what is going on. Who really is bewitching them? Who really is casting them under this spell, so to speak? Who really is, here you go, deceiving them? Satan. It is Satan. It is the enemy of God. Satan, the devil, the father of lies. He is the one behind it. Can I tell you something? There is no one who hates the gospel of Jesus, the truth of the gospel, more than Satan. Because the truth of the gospel gives God all the glory for salvation. The gospel is simply that God has done for us in Christ what we could not do. And so the one who does the work gets all the glory. God has done all the work for our salvation. He gets all the glory. And Satan hates God getting glory. He hates it. And so he would love nothing more than for us to think that the way we are saved is by our own ability to get to God, our own ability to earn our salvation, because who gets the glory if we do the work? Well, we get the glory. And God, uh, Satan would love nothing more than to try to steal away glory from God. So who is bewitching them? Well, the false teachers, but who is behind that? It's no, uh, none other than Satan himself. 
And as we, as we want to keep our guard up against false teaching, we can think about it from a defensive standpoint and an offensive standpoint. From a defensive standpoint and an offensive standpoint. I just want to quickly kind of give you some things to, 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 to think about as we think about keeping our guard up against false teaching. The defensive side of things, I would say to live with our guard up against false teaching really is to listen with discernment. To listen with discernment. That word discernment just means that we're judging whether something is right or wrong. We're weighing it against something, all right? And that something ultimately is God's word. I'll get to that in the offensive side of things. But we are listening with discernment. So often, so often, we can, we can fall into this trap of just taking in as truth whatever we hear or whatever. Just because somebody says the word Jesus or sings a song about Jesus, we just say, well, it must be true. It must be true. Just because somebody calls himself a Christian, just because somebody even opens up God's word, doesn't necessarily mean that they're preaching the truth. And so we have to listen with discernment. Think about what we are hearing. So often we don't do that. We shut our minds down and we just hang on to whatever we're fed. We have to think. We have to think to listen with discernment. And that's the, that's the defensive side of things. But the offensive side I referenced just a second ago, is to let God's word serve as the gatekeeper of what we let into our minds. And so to be on the offensive is to fill our minds constantly with God's word. To be in God's word. To sit under godly teaching from God's word. So that we can, when we think and listen with discernment, we'll know, hey, wait a second, that doesn't match up with what God's word says. And so I offensively fill my mind with God's word so that then I can be on the defensive and listen with discernment. And let God's word be the gatekeeper of whatever I let into my mind to dwell on and to believe. To meditate on the truth of God. Keep your guard up against false teachers. He says, who has bewitched you? Who has come in? You let your guard down, Galatians. You You let your guard down. And now look at you. You're all confused, and you're acting like fools. Second truth is this. Keep your eyes focused on the cross of Christ. Keep your eyes focused on the cross of Christ. Paul kind of goes back at the end of verse verse 1 to where he ended the last passage in verse 21. Let's go back and let's start in verse 21 and then read through verse 1, these two verses together. Sometimes we see the chapter divisions in our Bible. Well, I'm done with chapter 2 so I can forget about it and I'll go to chapter 3 tomorrow. But we don't want to do that. This is one letter that Paul writes. And so, verse 21, Paul said, chapter 2, verse 21, he said, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Remember the the theological argument he made in the previous passage was that if Jesus dying on the cross was not enough for our salvation and we have to add something to that, then he really died for no purpose. But Jesus did die for a purpose. It was to provide our full and complete salvation. And so he, he says... He says to the Galatians, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, the Galatians 
were not standing at the foot of the cross when Jesus was nailed to it and hung there to die. So what does Paul mean when it was before their very eyes? Paul is talking about when he and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey and they went to the region of Galatia and went through the cities and towns there and they proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ so vividly and so concentrated on Jesus and his death on the cross that he's able to say, listen, it's like you were there. It's like you were there looking at Jesus because I know how I came and preached to you. And when I came and I preached to you, my message was centered on the sufficiency of what Christ did on the cross to purchase your salvation. And that word, that word there before your eyes was publicly portrayed as crucified. It's really like putting it up on a billboard. To publicly portray, that's that word in the Greek means like, listen, it was right there as big as could be before your eyes. Jesus Christ died for your sins. And now you're saying, that's not enough. How can you say that? What has happened to the Galatians? They've taken their eyes off of the cross. They've taken their eyes off of what Jesus did. And as soon as we take our eyes off the cross, we begin to trust in ourselves and our own ability to earn God's love. That's what the cross of Christ rescues us from. It rescues us from us trusting in ourselves. And so if we don't want to be led astray by this false teaching that we have to earn our salvation, then we need to keep our minds fixed and focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. Keep your eyes focused on that cross. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is how Paul describes his preaching to the Corinthians. And we can rest assured, this is how Paul would have preached to the Galatians as well and everyone else he preached to. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, Paul writes to the Corinthians, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with a lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, Paul knows that he preached that way to the Galatians, and now they're trying to rest in the wisdom of men, in the wisdom of the false teachers, which is no power to save. Paul says, get your eyes back on that on that message that I preach of Jesus on the cross dying for your sins. Once God has awakened our dead hearts to understand and love what Jesus did on the cross, it seems inconceivable that we could ever begin to think that what He did was not enough. That somehow we must add our works to what He did on the, on the cross in order for God to save us. Listen, listen, when we look at the cross, when we look at the cross of Christ, The cross is screaming to us. The cross is screaming to us. You can't do it. You can't save yourself. That's why the Son of God is up here dying for you. We need to stop screaming back. Let me help you out, Jesus. Let me show you what I can contribute. 
Let me show you how good I can be, Jesus. And instead, as Jesus cries out, it is finished. Our only response should be, yes. Yes, Jesus, I believe that it is. I believe that what you're doing is something I can never do for myself. And it's so great that I could never add anything to it. That you are purchasing my full and complete salvation. And I will trust in you now. And I will trust in you every day from now. And I will trust in you until I breathe my last breath. See, the finished work of Christ on the cross must be the cry of our hearts until the moment that we are ushered into his presence from this life to the next. It is done. It is finished. And I add nothing to it. We must keep the cross of Christ before our eyes if we want the biblical truth of salvation by grace through faith to reign in our hearts and govern our understanding of our good works. That my good works add nothing to what Christ has done for me. It does not make me one ounce more worthy of salvation. I will never be worthy of it. Third truth is this. Keep your memory fixed on how you were saved. Keep your memory fixed on how you were saved. This is the second time that we find Paul in this short passage calling them fools. Verse 3, he says, Are you so foolish? He started out by saying, Oh, foolish Galatians. Are you so foolish? What was so foolish about what they were doing? Before we dive into verse 3 and 4, it's kind of like this. And we kind of talked about this a little bit Wednesday night in Bible study. And so if you were here, you just have to kind of listen again. Uh, but but it's, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like if I said, you know what, I need, to get to, I need to get to Greenwood. And I don't know how to get there. And so I pull out my phone. I don't have my phone with me. But I pull out my phone and I put it in my GPS and I say, take me to Greenwood. Or I just tell it, right? Now you can do that. I just say, take me to Greenwood. And um, she says, all right, turn right out of the church, you know. And so I turn right. And I look, I look at my GPS, and it says, you're 10 minutes from Greenwood. And so I, I start heading down the road. And, and as, I look at my, as I look at my GPS, I see that I'm getting closer. I can see that I'm going in the right direction. And so now I'm nine minutes away, and then I'm eight minutes away, and now I'm seven minutes away, and now I'm six minutes away, and now I'm five minutes away. And I say, I think I'm going to turn around and go the other direction. And so I start heading towards Common Falls thinking that my destination is still Greenwood. Now, it would be one thing for me to say, you know what, I'm at Southside and I need to head to Greenwood. I think I'm going to go that direction. That would be wrong. That would be starting out on the wrong on the wrong path. But it's completely foolish for me to start heading in the right way and know that I'm heading in the right way. I mean, my GPS is telling me I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. And then all of a sudden for me to say, I think I'll go the other direction exactly what the Galatians are doing. And that's why Paul says, are you so foolish? You started going the right direction and you know that it was the right direction. There's evidence that it was the right direction. And now you're just turning right around and going the other way. Oh, foolish Galatians. Are you so foolish? Verse three, having begun by the spirit. That means you started the right direction. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now you're thinking you're going in the other direction and you're going to get to the same place. 
It's so foolish. It doesn't make any sense. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Keep your memory fixed on how you were saved. This is the second question in this passage. How did you receive the Spirit, Paul says? He equates receiving the Spirit with justification. Past couple of weeks, we've talked about justification, that declaration that I am in a right standing before God, even though I'm a sinner, because God sees the righteousness of Jesus in me instead of my sin. Declaration of a right standing before God. Justification. Now Paul uses a different way to talk about that, receiving the Spirit. Did you receive the Spirit? Did, you, did, the, Spirit, did the Spirit come to you? Did you uh, or were you justified? Were you saved in this way? But now you're going to follow Christ this way. No. You finish how you start. He says you received the Spirit this way, by faith. So why now are you turning to works in order to complete your salvation? Even in the way he words this, we can see the grace. Did you receive the Spirit? Not work for, not earn it. Even in his way of talking about salvation, he's talking about salvation being a gift. Did you receive this gift of the Spirit, this salvation, by works of the law? The answer is no. They didn't. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, okay, then why do you think that you're being perfected or that your salvation is being completed according to the flesh? According to the worldly way of getting to God. The world says you want to get to God, you better be good enough. And the gospel of Jesus says you're not good enough, so Jesus came for you and died for you. And Paul says you started going this way, you start in the right direction, you believe that your flesh couldn't save you, that you couldn't get to God on your own. Now you're thinking that it's your flesh that's going to help you keep your salvation. Paul says no. That is not right. At least right into the third question. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? I think I was talking about verse 2 when I said verse 3. I apologize for that. We were just looking at verse 2. Now we're into verse 3. Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You see what, you see what they're doing. They're saying, there's no way I could save myself. I'm going to believe in what Jesus did on the cross. And then a few years down the road, they're saying, all right, if I want to get to heaven, I, I, better, start, I better start obeying the law. I better, I, better, I better start doing these things or God's not going to love me. Paul says, doesn't make any sense. You've already admitted that you can never earn salvation. Why now are you saying that you've got to earn salvation? It's the same words that he uses in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This beginning and perfecting, or that word perfecting, you could say completing or finishing. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes this to the Philippians. Probably one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, And I am sure of this, that he who began, same word he used in Galatians, a good work in you, that's the work of salvation, will bring it to completion, same word in Galatians, at the day of Jesus Christ. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I love that. Because here's what that means. That the salvation that God started in me as an eight-year-old boy, when I realized that I was a sinner, and that there was no way I could save myself, and I asked the Lord to save me because of what Jesus did on the cross, that good work of salvation that he started, he is going to finish it. And it is his work, not my work. 
That's what Paul is trying to get the Galatians to realize. You began by the Spirit. Guess what? It's by the Spirit. It's by God that your salvation is going to be completed. Not long after that eight-year-old boy uh, trusted in Christ as his Lord and Savior, um, he began to fall into the same trap that the Galatians did. You see, I, I started thinking that somehow I got kind of mixed up in my mind, and I got in this way of thinking, and maybe, maybe you've been here before, where I started thinking that, that I did something bad and I had to do something good to make up for it in God's sight. It was like this little balance sheet. And I, I, I sinned, I said something I wasn't supposed to to my parents or said something mean to my friends or whatever. And then I was like, all right, I got to do something good now to make up for it. And I was really falling into the trap that the Galatians were falling into. I had trusted that I couldn't, that, that I, I, I believed that I couldn't save myself and I trusted in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then not long after that, I began thinking that somehow I had to do good works to make up for my bad works, so to speak. That's not what the gospel says. The gospel says, yeah, I know you're a sinner. Even after you trust in Christ, there's still times where we sin in our, in our lives. But here's what the gospel tells me to do. Run back to the cross of Christ and ask him to forgive me. Don't try to make up for it by my good works. Because it's only his blood that did save me and will continue to save me. Now, maybe you've fallen into that trap. Even now, as you're thinking about your walk with the Lord, you've begun to think that, that somehow it's your good works that is helping you hold on to your salvation when really it is the grace of God that is continuing to hold on to you. And this is how, this is how much the Galatians believed that salvation was by grace through faith. Look at what Paul writes in verse 4. This fourth question. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Here's what happened. The the Galatians actually suffered persecution for believing that salvation was by grace through faith. We know that there were people that didn't like that teaching, the teaching of salvation by grace through faith, because when Paul and Barnabas went there on their missionary journey, they were persecuted and beaten and run out of towns. They're in Galatia. So we know that there was persecution that was going on. Even in chapter 6, verse 12, Paul's going to accuse the false teachers of only believing in their good works to save them so that they could avoid persecution. In chapter 6, verse 12, he's going to say, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. He's talking about the false teachers. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. And then he's going to say later that he says, I bear on my body the marks of Christ. In other words, Paul said, I've been persecuted for believing that good works can't save me. And you yourselves were persecuted. You suffered when you believed that salvation was by grace through faith. You were willing to suffer for this belief. That's how much you believed it. And now you're going the other way. You're foolish. Foolish. Galatians. Remember how you were saved, and that is the same way you will continue to be saved. Remember how relieved you were to know that all your sin had been forgiven by the blood of Jesus and that salvation was a free gift. Remember that you were so thankful that your salvation was not dependent upon your good works, that you were willing to suffer persecution for holding this belief. Go back and remind yourself that you were completely dependent upon Jesus to save you back then, and then stop depending on your good works right now, and go back to depending upon Jesus for your salvation. 
truth number four, final truth from this passage we see in verses five through six is this. Keep your mind concentrated on the way God works. Keep your mind concentrated on the way God works. This is the fifth question that Paul presents in this passage. The fifth of five questions. Verse five, he asks this. Does he who supplies the spirit to you, that would be God, and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So he, he, he's told them, be on your guard against false teachers. You've been bewitched. You don't need to be bewitched anymore. All right, don't be led astray. He says you need to keep your eyes fixed on the cross of Christ. You need to keep your memory Back on how you were saved. Don't ever forget that you were saved by grace through faith. But then just think about the way that God works. How has God always worked and how has he continued to work? Galatians, how did you receive the Spirit? How did God work miracles among you? Was it because you were good enough? No, it wasn't because you were good enough. It was because you believed in Jesus. That's how he supplied the Spirit to you. It was through faith that he supplied the Spirit to you. It was through faith that he worked miracles among you. So how can you go back to basing your salvation on your good works? That's not how God worked among you. It's not how he works now. And by the way, it's not how he used to work and has always worked. It's always been hearing and then faith in what is heard. Romans chapter 10 Verse 16 says, excuse me, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We hear the promise of God that if you believe in Jesus and in Christ alone, I will save you. And then we believe it. That's what faith is. Okay. And that's how always how God has worked. Probably what was happening. We're going to talk about Abraham a lot more next week and in the weeks to come. But probably what was happening is the false teachers came in and they said, guess what? Abraham, you heard of Abraham before, pretty important person, God's people, Israel, really important guy. Guess what? Guess what? He was saved. He was rescued. He was counted righteous because he was a good man. And I'll even I'll even tell you about a time in his life where he did a really good work. And it's very likely that they pointed back to Genesis chapter 22 where God called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. We're not going to get into the details of that right now, but that was a hard command, okay? And did I say the right thing? All right, Abraham and Isaac. Make sure I got it right. Sacrifice Isaac. What did Abraham do? He obeyed, right? I mean, he went all the way up to the point of laying his son on the altar. God stopped him. And so the false teacher is probably saying, look at that good work that Abraham did. That's how Abraham is in heaven today. Paul says in verse 6, oh, no, oh, no. That's not how Abraham was counted righteous, not because of his good works. It was because of his faith. Look at what he says. Chapter chapter, uh, 3, verse 6. He says, just as Abraham, what? Worked hard and it was counted to him as righteousness? No, just as Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteous. You know what Paul is doing right there? Something pretty smart. He's quoting God. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. 
You don't believe me, Paul says? How about believe the Old Testament? How about believe God? Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. He leaves out verse 5. Here's what verse 5 says in Genesis chapter 15. And he, that's God, brought him, that's Abram, outside and said. So God's telling Abraham, this is thousands of years before Paul wrote Galatians. Look toward heaven, Abraham, and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He is saying this to a man who's really old and whose wife is really old. His wife has been barren her whole life and they don't have any children. Pretty incredible promise. Abraham, walk outside. I want you to look at the stars. Try to count them. Okay, you can't do it. All right, I know. I know. I made them. I know how many there are, but you can't count them. Guess what? That's how many offspring you're going to have. To a man who has no children and is really old and his wife is unable to have kids. Okay? Presents Abraham with a choice. Do I trust God? Do I believe him? Do I take him at his word or do I not? Verse 6 is what Paul quotes. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Guess what? 15 comes before 22. Before Abraham ever took Isaac up to Mount Moriah and laid him on an altar in obedience to God's command, he first believed what God had said by faith. It's how God has always worked. Salvation has always been through faith. Paul says, Galatians, why would it be any different for you? God's way of counting unrighteous people righteous has always been, listen to me, it's the good news of the gospel. God's way of counting unrighteous people righteous in his sight has always been and will always be through faith and not through works because salvation has always been and will always be by God's grace. And if it's by grace, then we don't earn it. It's a gift. Listen to me, Christian. Christian, God is completing your salvation. He's finishing your work, the, his good work of salvation in you. He is completing it the same way he started it. We're sanctified the same way he justified us, by God's grace applied to our lives through faith. And so here's what we have to do. Here's what we have to do. If we want to stay on guard against false teachers, if we want to keep our eyes fixed on Christ, if we want to never forget how God saved us, and we want to constantly be reminded in our minds of how God works, we must, you must, I must, preach the gospel to ourselves 24-7. We never get too grown up in our faith to not need to hear the gospel of Jesus. Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 1. He said, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you who also are in Rome. He was talking to Christians. He was talking to the church. He was talking to people who already believed the gospel. And he says, I can't wait to get to that church in Rome and preach the gospel to you. The same gospel that saved you, I'm going to preach it to you again because we need to hear the gospel over and over and over and over and over so that we daily depend upon the grace of God for our salvation and never depend upon our good works. Are we to do good works? Yeah, we talked about that last week. Paul's already explained how we're to live for God. He's going to spend a lot of time talking about that in chapter 5, chapter 6. 
But it's never our good works that God bases our salvation upon. He bases our salvation upon his grace for us, displayed on the cross of Christ, applied to our lives through our faith in him. Not through good works. That is the good news of the gospel. Preach it to yourself, church. Read, open up your Bible, and let the gospel saturate your mind. Day in and day out. Let our gospel motto be, finish how you start. Through faith and not through works. All glory be to God. Heavenly Father, your word is beautiful. Father, our salvation is beautiful. Father, I'm reminded of how you saved me. God, I did not do anything to earn your love. Father, I was a rebel. Father, I was against you. Father, and while I was still while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. Father, that's how everyone who comes to know Christ in a saving way comes to know Christ. It's by grace through faith, Father. It's not our works. But, Father, help us. Help us to not begin as believers in Christ, as people who are seeking to walk with the Lord. Father, help us not to begin to look at our good works that we are supposed to be doing as Christians and begin to trust in those good works and look to our good works and say, this is why God is saving me, because I am a good person, because I'm trying to be obedient to what he's commanded me. Father, may we never fall into that trap. Satan would love for us to fall into. But Father, even as we pursue holiness in our lives as Christians, as we seek to do good works to the glory and honor of your name, as we do those things for you, Father, help us to be constantly depending and resting upon what you have done for us. Help us to never move past the gospel salvation as a free gift but help us to live in it every single day remind us of the cross in Jesus name we pray